everybody, and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast, conversations with creatives, entrepreneurs, thinkers, and dreamers who also happen to be surfers. My name's Imi, and I am your host. If you enjoy this podcast, you can subscribe, rate, or review it on iTunes or on your podcast app, and you'll find all the details at the end of this episode and in the show notes, and of course, on my brand new website, www.theoceanriderspodcast.com. Actually, I've been spending the past six weeks upgrading theoceanriderspodcast.com so that you can find all the info you need in the same place. Up until now, my um, my information has been spread all over the place between Medium articles and uh, my website, the show notes, the podcasting apps, all sorts of things like that that have been completely scattered all over the place. Now it's all in the same place. It's been a really long process for me, but from now on, you'll find photos of my guests, show notes, quotes, transcripts, and all the resources in the same place. And you'll also find a few photos of me and my backstory for those who are interested. At the same time, I've decided the episode release date on Mondays. In fact, the reason I'm doing that is that when I used to publish on Fridays, I'd get all psyched up and end up spending my weekends glued to the phone for stats and downloads and all sorts of things like that. So for my family's sake and my sanity, I've actually decided to change the dates around to Monday. I really hope you understand. Also, in September, I was super motivated and went blasting through the recording of too many episodes and ended up completely toasting my brain. So I've decided to slow down the pace of my podcast and release an episode every fortnight for a while. So um, if you're still in need of your weekly Ocean Riders fix, skip over to the podcast app and subscribe or have a look at the website to check out some of the early episodes. In fact, for every episode you like the most, you'll find links to related episodes that could be of interest. And there really is, believe me, a ton of resources out there. I'm also trying to work out a way of monetizing my podcast to pay for my editor. So my first step has been to start an affiliate partnership with Amazon.com. Basically, when you visit my site and click on the books or the DVDs available in the show notes, I get a micro teeny tiny teeny tiny commission from Amazon, but you'll be paying exactly the same price for the items. I think that's pretty cool. More cool stuff also is coming up very soon, so stay tuned. I'm really sorry for the aparte, but I was so super excited to spread the news. Now, all about my guest. Today, my guest is Ryan Lynch. Ryan is from California and shapes 100% wooden surfboards under the name Timber Surf Co or Timber Surf Company. If you were at the Freshwater Pro this year, you may have seen one of his boards showcased there. In fact, Ryan's story is really inspiring because he's living the dream of doing what he loves and is managing to spend as much time as possible, quote unquote, testing his boards in the water. Ryan is a craftsman at heart and shapes hollow wooden surfboards that are made of all sorts of woods, most of which are reclaimed or recycled. All the stages of product design have been carefully thought through at Timber Surf Company and we get to talk about what a truly sustainable surfboard is. In fact, if you listen to Ryan's production design process, it's no surprise that Timber Surf Co. has been awarded a gold star by the Echo Board Project. From being a passionate craftsman to becoming a product designer for Tesla, to bobbing up and down the Pan American Highway in a trailer he designed and customised, Ryan Lynch's story is full of surprises. So without further ado, please welcome Ryan Lynch. 
Ryan, and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast. How are you today? I am so good. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate you having me on. <laughs> it's a pleasure. And um, I just wondered for the listeners if you could introduce yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm Ryan Lynch. I always have been. And <laughs> I am the owner of Timber Surf Company. And what we represent really is the push towards sustainably crafted surfboards. Specifically in my business, it's, it's wooden-based surfboards. So as of right now, we use no foam, really focusing on eliminating the plastic and just getting rid of every little pound of carbon emission that we possibly can through the process of building these surfboards. That's excellent. This is going to be a really exciting conversation. So maybe if we could sort of rewind in your life story a bit, actually, who or what introduced you to surfing in the first place? That's a good question. It was so long ago. (laughs) I don't know if there was a who, but really happened upon a group of friends who all were keen to try it uh, at the same time. So we had a pack of beginners. This was before we had driver's licenses. So maybe, (laughs) I don't know, 13 years old or so, I'd say. And that just came about as maybe the thing to do at this age. And so we all went out there. I remember specifically where we surfed. Uh Where was that? It was at the Hook in Santa Cruz on the east side. And on one hand, it's a really good place to learn because the waves are perfect. On the other hand, it's a really bad place to learn because the waves are perfect. <laughs> uh, and thus, you get an aggressive crowd out there and, you know, good guys taking advantage of good waves and beginners attempting to share the same wave without any knowledge of the culture and the etiquette. Uh, <laughs> it, was a bit, it was a bit hairy at times, but yeah, it was, it's pretty clear. I think most people you talk to that, that are surfers now and have passion for it definitely drew that passion from the first second they got in the water or the first wave they caught. Yeah. So absolutely. that was definitely the case. Absolutely. Hard to walk away from. Yeah, yeah, I bet. And so did you study at university in California or did you go inland? I went north. So I was born and raised uh, in a town called Sunnyvale, and it's just over the hill from Santa Cruz. And growing up, it was the tech boom, computer, internet, everything to do with that kind of field was just blowing up all around us. And I had a lot of family roots up in Oregon. So there was a big draw for me to go to Oregon. Just so happens to be I got into the college, didn't care much about what it was like, didn't visit the campus at all. I got in and I knew I wanted to live in Oregon. So I went and I couldn't have been a better fit. Really? Yeah. So many wonderful friends that I still have connections with. First day of school, I bumped into a friend, had no idea that we were embarking at the same adventure in the same place. And so we just instantly reconnected from, I don't know, elementary school friendship, <laughs> met my wife up there and wow. really f- fell into a good program. Uh, and ended up studying product design, specifically material research and under the product design field. Uh-huh. That was great. It was very hands-on. I think I, at that point I was a builder and a craftsman, but not really much of an accomplished one. Just that was how I filled my time, making my way into the wood shop and just putting something together mm-hmm. and then really honed that craft at the University of Oregon. The product design program was very hands-on. You know, the goal was to come up with products that solved solutions. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't solely a CAD and internet space where you just showed the idea of a product, but you actually had to make it. Wow. And there was a lot of rapid prototyping techniques and time spent in various fabrication labs that we had up there. So that, that was great. And that really like not only honed the craft, but increased my appreciation for building and hands-on work. So that, yeah, that, that was perfect. Had you already tried to sort of shape a surfboard by then or was that kind of out of the picture? 
Yeah, good question. I had repaired so many of my mm-hmm. surfboards. Mm-hmm. As most beginners, you have a tendency to break them mm-hmm. or, you know, run them onto the rocks or run over somebody or get run over by somebody anyways. I had a lot of a lot of time spent on my own boards, but never shaping. And I, I don't think I really understood much about the foam chemistries and the overall construction style. All I knew is there was a stringer, some foam and some fiberglass. And then knew nothing about the types of resin that could be applied to that or the process by which you, you went about making one. Right. Um, so surfboards came in a lot later, I think. Yeah, yeah. And going to university in Oregon, which is quite sort of an avant-garde sort of state, were you already sort of exposed to sustainability and sustainable practices in your training? Yeah, absolutely. I have a great benefit of being in this particular generation. And we grew up and we're educated with the foundation of like solve problems with production. Mm-hmm. Don't just introduce new things to the market just for the sake of it. And Oregon, definitely, uh, at least in, in Eugene, Oregon, where the campus is, it was very liberal. So we, we had a lot of those kind of forward thinking ideas and sustainably focused initiatives. And then the town itself was just to lack much of a better description, it was just hippie, hippies everywhere. <laughs> and so that really fostered like a lot of care for the planet and the community. And, and, you know, that goes deep and it really makes its way into your education and how you choose to spend your time as well. Yeah, excellent. And so you actually got a job at Tesla. Could you tell us what you felt like when you got accepted? Like when somebody picked up the phone and said, you got your job starting on Monday kind of thing. What, what did you feel? Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was it was so validating. And I had a wild ride at Tesla, so I really had so many moments that came after that that were like equally as impactful and profound for me. But the initial offer letter was fantastic. It meant that I was ready to move from Oregon back to California, which is something I kind of I loved loved mm-hmm. to do, wanted to do. The job I saw was really just a way in the door. So I knew that hey, I got a job at this place the role that I would walk into is not one that really utilized the best of my skill sets or would keep me engaged for the next decade. But I did know very quickly that I would be able to hone in and find that job within you know, the confines of that company. And it was a good jumping off point for me. Excellent. And what's the company culture like? Because it seems really kind of, it's very secret. And I was just wondering if you could sort of, what's it like to be behind those doors? Yeah, good question. It's actually, it's changed a lot. I was there for about six years. And when I first showed up, it was so scrappy and, uh, you know, DIY nature. And everybody has a job, sure, but everybody's job overlaps and you just do what you need to do to get the job, to get the car out the door. Mm -hmm. And so it was such a startup, really like a Bay Area classic tech startup vibe when I first was there. Excellent. And yeah, it was so much fun. It was a lot of work. We called it stressla at times because <laughs> like the expectations and the hours that were being asked of you were were so great, greater than anything I had experienced, you know, kind of fresh out of college. Uh-huh. So it was a lot. It was a big culture shock or eye-opening experience as the first corporate job. And then it just so happened to be so fun and wild and kind of just hang on. How do you call it? Hang on by the skinnier pants or whatever <laughs> however that saying goes that was so so the case and then i did quickly moved into a few other roles that were a bit more fitting for me right uh, i spent time on the craftsmanship engineering team that was terrific and that was very much a behind closed doors operation wow. whereby we were designing the cars you know 1x and 2x that have yet to come 
Okay. A year or two off a market at least. Wow. Yeah, it was great, but everything was so, I guess, un, undefined. There was no real structures or systems to have formal communications and release notes and all these mm-hmm. technical conversations that just everything was so informal. And it made it a lot of fun, but it also, that was part of the stress of it. Yeah. Because <laughs> nothing was like formally captured. And so as things changed, the reins got a little tighter and the company got there. Yeah. stuff together a little bit and it became less fun but better overall for the business yeah yeah i totally understand so what did you think you learned the most about this experience in a big tech company or in a renowned tech company even at the time it was as a startup kind of mode yeah well that company was very engineering centric and me i graduated with a degree in design again specifically materials but overall we did a lot of design and the last role i had at tesla for the last few years was I was a design engineer working for the design studio. So it was a perfect mix. You know, I got to use my design background and really was flooded all day with design conversations and design detail meetings. But at the end of the day, the content with which I was responsible for was providing the engineering behind executing those designs. Right. And I think that the single greatest thing, it's it's pretty clear in my mind, was just to understand that every product, every product that gets made in this world has a process behind it and thus has a reverse process. So everything that you have in your hands has been made in a certain way and therefore you can take it apart in a certain way. You can replace things, you can fix things and put it back together. Right, right. And if you approach that correctly, you know, you end up with a perfectly good product all over again and you don't have to throw something away. So yeah, I think that that mindset was really helpful for me. Right. And it kind of focused a bit more on making, you know, designing a good product and making a robust product. And not to worry if something breaks or is impaired a little bit because you can always go back and repair that. Yeah, that's really interesting. And and do they have a kind of cradle to cradle sort of business model at Tesla or whether you can reuse the products or they can get upcycled or things like that? Is there anything? Yeah, I think it could get better. The main, I think, burden there is the lithium from the batteries. And that's something I don't know much about, but that really is the biggest footprint of manufacturing the vehicle is is mining the lithium and just batteries in general batteries are not so friendly a production process to fabricate so there definitely is an extraction process they have such that they're able to recycle the content of the batteries to the full extent i you know probably not and i really don't know what what portion it is but that's you know they're definitely working on it because that is really the initiative of the companies is to leave no trace or as little a trace as they possibly can. Right, right. And so what actually led you to start your own business at Timber Surf Company? Yeah, great, great question. I wanted to start my own business first before I knew what it was going to be. Right. So my wife and I, after five years of Tesla, we decided it was time for a break. Not my wife and I, my job and I needed a break. (laughs) (laughs) So my wife and I, quite on the contrary, we got married and we took our honeymoon. And our honeymoon was a six-month road trip from California down to Panama City. Wow. And so that was Pan American Highway for six months, bobbed and weaved a lot through central Mexico and the highlands. And once we got to Central America, at least sticking on the West Coast. And we did that in teardrop trailer that we actually built for the last few months prior to that trip. So, yeah, we saw we were able to really just remove ourselves from the tech madness and like, you know, just the constantly evolving, hectic nature of living in the Bay Area Mm -hmm. and just having to go to a stressful job all the time. 
So we really got a good pause and room for reflection there. We reevaluated a lot what our interests were, what our capabilities were. And the notion upon coming back was, all right, let's work while we have to for a short period, but really focus on planning our own thing. Brilliant. And so I went back to Tesla after that road trip and lasted about a year and a half, I'd say, before it was just too much. And then all the while I had been developing two business plans. Uh, one was to build those teardrop trailers. Right. And the other was to build surfboards. <laughs> and it just made so much more sense. Like my passion would have been in the surfboards. Yeah. And hey, I, I'm a sucker for product testing. So <laughs> it's a good excuse to get out in the water all the time. <laughs> Oh, that's a brilliant story. It's amazing because the, the Pan American Highway is like this kind of dream that I've had for ages and ages to sort of drive down there. It's just a fascinating story that you actually created your trailer. And did, did you do the whole sort of design and engineering and all the cupboard space and worked out all the sort of things like you see in the tiny homes and whatever? That must have been so fun. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> it was so fun. And I, I'm very fortunate because I have a friend who owns his own business building trailers and they're just outrageously beautiful the company's uh -huh. called oregon trailer right and he was he was a great resource he's a good guy to have on the other end of the phone so he <laughs> helped a lot to say oh you know don't use this part don't use that part you know he helped a lot with the execution uh -huh. but overall you know still is ground up build and got to make all the decisions design the kitchen and like build our little living space <laughs> small <laughs> Small but sufficient. But small but sweet. Absolutely. Yeah. So you came back for a year and a half, something like that, at Tesla. And so when did actually Timber Surf Company become a real business corporation, so to speak? Yeah. December of last year is when I made the full change. Right. So it was a cold, how do you call it? Um, anyways, yeah, I quit Tesla in December and already had so much progress on Timber that I was just managing to work on on the weekends and the evenings. And so I just went full steam ahead come then. It's been a long ramp. You know, yes. It's been a long ramp to get the product stable and uh -huh. quality up to something that I'm pleased with uh -huh. for the market. But yeah, it's been that long. It's been over, over a year I've been building boards, but officially under the timber name, you know, coming up on our year mark now. Right. And I couldn't right. be happier with where things are at. Really, really. And so could you sort of picture what a timber surf company board is made of and what it looks like and how you make it? Yeah. Yeah, sure. So the generality is that it's a hollow wooden board. Most people, upon seeing a board for the first time, they assume it's very heavy and they assume it's solid. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's a fair assumption because that's kind of where surfing started, the origins of the sport. You take a tree yeah. and you just shape it down until it looks like a thing that, you know, you want to ride. So I, you know, I took an engineering perspective from it and I include a series of ribs and stringers on the inside of the board. So there's a skeleton, you know, a mm -hmm. framework just like a, the vertebrae of a fish or even similar construction to that of an airplane wing. And that hollow core is incredibly robust and it has supports in all the right spots where you need it relative to surfing, you know, foot placement and mm -hmm. pressures and torsional flex and these kinds of things that you require in a board. And then we wrap it, we, you know, we wrap it with the skin on the top and the bottom. And then part of our design aesthetic is cork rails. And so every board we build has solid cork rails. Excellent. So it means you don't sort of ding them and also if you bump them, it's not too bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that's the highest, the highest area of potential damage and ding. And so that is one thing that admittedly is tougher on a wood board than a foam board is that if you do ding it, you know, you can't just take it to Jojo's surf shop mm -hmm. to repair it. You have to have somebody that knows how to work with wood. 
Right. So the cork rails is a little bit of an improvement there and also it helps the weight. It's pretty light. Heck, uh-huh. a lot of fun to shape too. Oh, I bet. I bet. And so how thick is actually the skin of the surfboard? Well, it depends on the design. It depends on the shape uh, and it depends on the level of intricacy that goes into it. And that's something we're, we're always tuning a little bit to the scale of millimeters. But it's about eighth of an inch on the top deck. And that's what takes all the impact. Mm-hmm. And I fiberglass the inside and the outside of that skin. Okay. Okay. You know, the whole part of the reason of doing this is that the boards are so darn robust. So an eighth of an inch is really significant. It doesn't sound like a lot, mm-hmm. you know, three millimeters or something, but it, it's still quite significant. Yeah. Uh, it provides enough strength. You know, I've never put my foot through it or seen anyone <laughs> else put their foot through it. <laughs> so how many surfboards do you manage to shape a month? Because like, this sounds like a very complicated process compared to a foam board and uh, you just sort of sculpt. Yeah, great question. One. <laughs> One is the answer. That fluctuates a bit. It really depends on what's being built. The last board I finished, they're all customs at this point. So every board that I'm building has had so many design conversations and a little bit of back and forth on getting the exact right shape and overall appearance and aesthetic behind it. So that takes a lot of the time. And then designing fixtures specifically for every board. So it comes out exactly as it appears in CAD. Wow. So really, I think it's a fair assumption to say one month. Uh-huh. However, if if I weren't to do customs and just streamline production, it could go a lot quicker. But I do spend a lot of time putting intricate designs into the decks. Yes, I've seen that on online. Like you've got amazing designs in terms of different woods and, and whatnot. So what kind of wood do you use to do the top, sorry, the skin or I don't know what you call it? Yeah, sure. I call it the skin. You call it whatever the heck you want, the, the top deck. <laughs> I'm not very limited in what I can use. I get a lot of wood donated, and that's kind of the goal is to use reclaimed wood. Excellent. And that's so possible today with all the different upcycle, downcycle partners and different avenues of production. And we live in this redwood forest with beautiful growth everywhere. So there's lots of wood. Some are a bit more favorable. Some are lighter. Some are, you know, can take a curve a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Some favorites, of course, redwood because it's local and it's mm-hmm. really light and strong. Poplar is another good one for those same reasons. But then on top of that, you know, any given board uh, has so many different types of wood in it, partially because I get the donated piles of wood and those piles are not surfboard sized. They end up being very small pieces. (laughs) Uh, And it's a great exercise to, you know, cut and shut all those pieces together and form something that can be applied to the scale of a surfboard. All right. And you also sort of use all the chippings and the bits to to make fins and and all sorts of accessories that's so cool yeah something i'm scaling up Uh i've been trying to develop the proof of concept and it's now ready and saleable so i have a few different fin templates and really the the goal and i think the best story is that if you're buying a surfboard i can make you a custom fin for that surfboard using all the scrap sawdust and offcuts from the board making process so you have a matching fin and i just think that's so darn cool and not something you can expect to get elsewhere exactly exactly and so yeah you could really see the before and after like sort of pile of wood and then your surfboard and it's all yeah sort of packaged that's so cool that's so cool and are they very heavy compared to foam boards they're heavy i wouldn't say they're very heavy let's just say some of my foam boards i tend to ride short boards 6.0 6.0 by 19.5 type of boards, 2.5. Those boards can be about 7 pounds, 8 pounds. And equivalent size in a wood board, I'm able to achieve uh, between 11 and 13 pounds. 
Wow. So it's heavier, right? It's percentage wise, it's definitely more weight. But the reality is I'm not making high performance short boards to help, you know, drive airs off the lip and anything mm-hmm. like that. I'm making a bit more spud and grovelers and like squash boards. Yeah. And from my surfing experience, the weight really doesn't affect the performance in in my eyes at a competitive level sure but more so i think it's the performance of the board the flex of the board and the dampening you know of the chatter and just really how you shape it and the hydrodynamics behind the shape that's excellent so so do you do all these calculations is it computer cad or do you actually is it sort of most mostly how you feel about the board and you sort of trial and error how does the process work yeah, the former for sure. Everything is done in the computer first. Mm-hmm. And that's that's my background, right? Yeah. Engineer. <laughs> engineer by experience. So <laughs> everything is in my eyes has to be done in the computer. And it's for a few reasons. I mean, it's great because you can physically visualize these boards and there's the CAD programs are are so prolific and easy to use that really there's no barrier to entry. You mm-hmm. can have a board, you can change the most minute details and export all of those curvatures and get the volume data and, you know, specific regional volume, say how much volume is this board going to have in the nose, you know, versus where's the wide point relative to the midpoint. And for me, the woodworking side of things, everything is template and jig based. Right, right. I'm the kind of person where you tell me to cut down a tree in six hours, I'll spend four hours sharpening the axe, you know, (laughs) And, and like that's, that's really the philosophy behind this is when you actually start touching the wood, everything is in place for that board to just fall into place really right. it just you, know, you build the framework such that you can build the product yeah yeah that's really interesting and do your surfboards sort of require a certain sort of surfing philosophy or style in terms of how you surf or can anybody sort of hop on a board and have the same sensations as a foam board yeah it's different it feels different under the foot for sure i mean and so does the difference is surfing a polyurethane foam blank versus a expanded polystyrene foam blank. You know, they each feel different from each right. other. There's a different buoyancy characteristic. The flex and, and the chatter and the response is different. What I like the most, so these boards don't have nearly as high of a flex pattern, the wood boards that is, but what they do have is a very slow flex pattern. So the return rate is quite different and it feels very familiar under your feet. What I mean by that is it's the flex and positioning of the board is moving in a wavelength that's natural. You know, it's a wood product. It's an organic product. You can feel it give and return under your foot as opposed to this, you know, piece of plastic foam collaboration that, that is just, it's chemistry, you know, it's, is the split second you give off pressure, it's already returned and is almost pushing against you. So I really like that effect, that feeling of a wood board. And I think they're more catered towards old school surfing. They they should be anyways, you know, more drawn out turns, like a lot more mellow surfing, not aggressive and abrasive style of surfing. <laughs> and I was just wondering if there was any maintenance, like, do you have to oil them or because you got the, you glass them, then the, the, the fact that there's no maintenance necessary? No maintenance necessary. Not at all. There's a little bit of education. There's really one one bit of education behind the product that folks need to know about. And this same, the same parameter exists within EPS boards as well. It's the pressure within the board can have an impact. So it's a hollow board and there's air trapped inside. Just like an EPS board, there's a lot of little pockets of air. In my wood boards, it's one big pocket yes, of air. Of and so you get 
this board out in the sun and then out in the cold water and then you leave it in your truck overnight and it's cold and, and it goes through a lot of different temperature shifts and the air inside can expand and contract. Of course, yeah. Yeah, and, and the problem there is is not that the air is doing that, but it's that it's applying these pressures to the fiberglass of the board and fiberglass does not return. So if the fiberglass expands, you know, the wood will expand and contract and return home. The fiberglass doesn't. So my solution here is, is twofold. I have two breather valves that I install into every board and they're really beautiful aesthetic, like well-crafted products. It's not a eyesore or anything. One, you don't even know it. It's in the leash plug. So the leash plug has a, a breather membrane that is, you know, it's almost like a Gore-Tex membrane, but it's a heck of a lot more functional. And it lets air out and in and Pretty. won't. <laughs> the pores are small enough that water doesn't come in. That is and so then if cool. you're doing something, yeah, it's it's great. I mean, I, I can't claim to cr- have created that product because there is a need for this both in EPS boards and you know, in larger EPS boards. Um, paddle boards have it and then just the wood board building community. And then as well, I have like more of a, less of a passive airflow valve that's just a physical thumb screw that's tooled in brass. And that's for something like, if you're going on a plane, if you have a high amount of travel coming and you don't know what the pressures are going to be, then that's that's like the physical valve that you can open and just ensure there's no issues. Right. That's really clever. That's excellent. And um, no, that's that's such a good idea to, well, you've obviously thought of everything in this. It's really, really cool. And um, I was just wondering, in terms of sustainability, it's a real sort of, you know, you can even get your wood from the junkyard or something like that, turn it into a yeah. surfboard and everything. And you're also part and certified by the Eckhart Board Project. Do you think you could tell us more about that? Yeah, sure. So the goal of the company from the start was to just, it was to eliminate the amount of broken boards you see on the beach, right? You see half of a board sitting there all the time. Everyone has seen it. And that sucks because you just, you shouldn't make products that don't have robustness you know you shouldn't make a product that's built to break and the other side of that is well where's the other half of the board right is that floating away at sea or you know fish eating it and then are you eating those fish so there's a lot of nastiness surrounding that industry and so so wood wood was the idea just get rid of the foam and build a board out of wood that's functional on top of that there's a lot of opportunities to really improve the the footprint of the board and sustainable surf is a nonprofit organization out of California mm-hmm. and they're really started in I think 2009 or 2010 sorry at any rate they they are formally the governing body behind what makes an eco board uh, and they have done all the form all the studies they've done life cycle analysis they've done like cradle to grave assessments on every single element in the production process. And so they've been a great resource to not just for me, but for the surf industry as a whole. And they're getting on board with some of the big manufacturers, Firewire and Dan Mann and Tomo. There's a couple of big names that are really supporting the eco boards, which uh-huh. is great. Yeah. And they have a few different tiers. You know, they have a level one tier, which is the entry level. And then there's a gold level certification uh, and my my boards meet the gold level certification. Brilliant, brilliant, excellent. And and has that attracted more customers? Um, having that certification that helped. Yeah, yeah, certainly. You know, it's all part of the same story. We're making a product that's like biologically organic, right? It's from the earth. You you put your energy into it. You make it here, like with your passion and with your body, and then you utilize it. And you use this object back in the earth or on the earth, and so. 
that's really the brand that that we need to have and i wish more people did yeah but like that full circle closed loop production style kind of a, a bit more elemental of a product yeah and i guess it must radiate also some amazing vibrations because if you're making it and you're so happy to make it and you're putting your heart and soul into it it just makes the whole difference with the finished product yeah yeah absolutely and a fun fact about the boards the epoxy resin so i use a resin coating and that coating is predominantly tree sap based. Okay. So that's that's just such a cool it's epoxy or a bio-based epoxy and that's so cool to be using you know start to finish it's wood on the inside wood on the outside and then an element that's a byproduct of wood to finish this product off. It's such a cool such I'm so glad that these products exist. Yeah, absolutely. So going on to sort of the business business side of your your company what are the biggest challenges you face being your own boss for example yeah i don't have a problem with that the time i wake up and i just want to do this you know every day i'm so happy to go into the wood shop and start building boards and i'm really not a strong businessman my wife and i pair together really well she's been responsible for all the all the branding and like the visual aspects and how our brand is represented to, uh-huh. to folks Excellent. And I think she just kills it. And she's done such a great job. Admittedly, I get less work done when the waves are good. <laughs> <laughs> I think every every shaper, every everybody in the industry will have that same problem. But <laughs> it hasn't, you know, I'm I'm so motivated and I love doing what I'm doing. So if I, if I go out for a surf in the morning, I'll add those hours on it. You know, I'm in the shop most of the day from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. And then I'm lucky if I get a little surf break in the meantime. <laughs> That's so sweet. And what about sort of working in an artisan industry? Because it's quite complicated, like to, you know, you're, you're working on the product from A to Z. It's not like sort of assembling things or reselling things or distributing things. What is your take on actually being the artisan? Yeah, there is a challenge there, right? There is There is a challenge. I think in the near future, there will be opportunities to scale this business. It's something we're working on in the background. But in the meantime, and thus far to date, it's hard to put myself in both camps, whereby I design this thing, build this thing, and then have to go out into the world and be a businessman and say, you know, drive a certain price and get so-and-so to carry a board and ask for this percentage of commission. And some of that more business technical information, I'm I'm not too keen on. Mm -hmm. But it needs to be done, obviously. I mean, it's it's not sufficient to just build a great product. People have to know about it. And do you have brand ambassadors? No, at this point, no. A lot of people reaching out every week to try and become brand ambassadors <laughs> or really like they just they want free boards. That's that's definitely on on target for the medium to long term. Mm-hmm. But this style of board has to, you know, you've seen the boards. They're so ornate and intricate. Uh, so I really have to scale down the design and scale up the production rate in order to fulfill something like that. I mean, it takes an entire month to build a board, right? So it's really tough to justify giving those away. And the price tag that I put on the boards is so aggressive because I want people to feel like they can buy them and surf them and not you know, feel obligated to put it on the wall or yeah. above their bar or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. So so what is the average sort of price for, a, I don't know, the best selling product that you sell at the moment? Yeah, they're between 2200 and 2600 for a board. It's a wide range, so it depends on a lot of the details within that, all the while working on two different tiers of products. So I will be introducing a very low price point and then a medium price point as well to kind of infill that 
that gap. Because right. I do want people to be able to surf these and feel comfortable with that. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it really is like almost indestructible when you're when you're surfing on them. Like you can you can bash into the somebody else or the rocks yeah. or whatever. It's it's really that there's no no wear and tear then related. To yeah, <laughs> believe me, I've I've tried. I've sent them nose first into the into the beach so many times. I really want to see one break such that I can understand any potential weak points and then you know respond to that but i haven't i haven't seen any break that's amazing that's so cool that's so cool so where can we find your boards yeah i think the best thing for me and for this business is not to stay local so everything thus far is is digital okay so find us on on instagram or our website it's timber surf co on both at timber surf co and timber surf co.com they're likely from time to time there are boards floating around santa cruz or some of the more you know regional california areas for sale in in some shops but generally the work we're doing right now is custom based so right now we're building out uh, about three and a half to four months so okay that's that's pretty good that's good yeah it's ideally that's i mean it's comfortable but i would like someone if they want a board to reach out and Uh then i could build them a board near near immediately i don't want (laughs) folks to have to wait that long yeah. But at any rate, yeah, just definitely contact us through the website or through Instagram and we'll be happy to get a custom board going. And do they travel well then? Can you sort of put them in the board bag and uh, ship them on a plane and things like that? Yep. Yep. hundred percent. I mean, you've seen the, how foam boards can end up at the end of a yeah. plane. <laughs> That's such a terror that nothing, you wouldn't be able to hurt one of these in a board bag. Right. That's so cool. Are the fins like Futures or FCS or are they, do you sort of use the same plugs or? Yeah. Oddly enough, everyone has been Futures thus far. Mm-hmm. Willing, you know, it's no different to me, whatever you want. It's it's your board. Uh, it's got to fit within your means and your quiver. So whatever the heck you want. But everyone thus far has, has asked for Futures and that's both in the single fin or, you know, just general thrusters or quad setups. Excellent, excellent. So this is so interesting, and I love the I love the fact that you can you take sort of repossessed wood and you can turn it into a surfboard. That is such a sort of inspiring way of upcycling and recycling. It's just really, really cool. Move on in this conversation to sort of have the generic questions of what I like to ask my guests. Do you remember what you felt when you caught your first wave? I definitely remember a few waves. I remember the day leading up to surfing <laughs> and i i actually i mentioned right as everybody breaks their board or dings their board i dinged my board the first time i was paddling out surfing no. yeah oh. and I, I i didn't learn on like a big wave storm or a long board i learned on on a short board it was like a i don't know six four almeric sashimi model i think it was and uh yeah i dinged it big hole right in the bottom the first time i didn't know any better i kept surfing on it oh my god um, but <laughs> anyways that that aside there's a few waves early on i really remember uh, one of them i was lucky enough to go to uh peru not on a surfing trip but i spent a lot of time there just vacationing and kind of taking an extended trip with the family and then additionally to that just by myself and i got to go to chicama peru which is the world's longest left hand point break and oh my gosh, what a wave that was. And, you know, I was still a beginner, but a wave of that caliber, it didn't really matter. I could, I managed to catch a wave and just, ah. just get such a long ride. Oh, I think that was the first time I really was able to climb the face and pump 
and do something other than just go straight right yeah. <laughs> behind them. So, so that was amazing. I still can kind of call back that feeling. Yeah. And when you did your trip to, down to um, Central America, did you get lots of waves in there to stop at all the mythical surf spots? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That was the goal for me. We, we did split the time between mountains and uh, ocean. My wife is from Colorado and she's definitely more of a mountain girl. Uh-huh. She surfs now, but yeah, it was a good balance, and we did surf all all the beautiful big waves that are famous down there. Scored really well on some of them and got skunked. You know, <laughs> was looking forward to Escondido, and it was like two to three the day, the few days we were at Escondido. So that didn't quite work. But lots of other good waves. So you, you really you, you like challenging and big waves then? Yeah, I like to be comfortable. So I'm not a big wave charger, but. You know, I still like to push the limits a little bit. Excellent. Excellent. So what do you think of the phrase, do what you love and you'll never work another day in your life? Do you think that you're applying that principle right now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's always going to be elements of work. I don't think there's a way to do solely what you love and to sustain that. There's got to be little pockets that, you know, have to support that, that maybe aren't within your wheelhouse. For me, like I was saying earlier, it's it's the strict business side of things. That feels like work because it's such a challenge to me. But truthfully, I have never, never in, in the past year of year and change of working on this business, I have never woken up and not wanted to go to work, to go to the shop and to build. Yeah. So I'm, yeah, so fortunate about that. But yeah, I just think now, you know, the economy that exists in the world and being 2019 with all the tools and resources we have at our fingertips, it's there's so many ways to make a living. And so I really just want to encourage everybody else, if you have an idea and you have a passion, like just, just go and do it and, mm. and don't stop. Really, if you take the marathon point of view and you just keep working towards something, there's, there's nobody that's going to get in your way, really. Not nowadays. Everything's possible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you, you were at the Freshwater Pro recently. Did you expose your boards there? I did. Yeah. yeah. So that was, you were asking about sustainable surf earlier. Yeah. They were kind enough to throw an invite my way. And so they had a booth there and they were just demonstrating a few of the more major initiatives that they were involved with at the moment for just, you know, ocean conservation. Mm-hmm. And they had a few foam core eco boards and they asked me to to bring a board as well so i had one of my wood boards on display there and what was the feedback oh it was fantastic it was fantastic i mean it was such a huge spectacle of an event thousands of people i don't know maybe eight to ten thousand people or so showing up wow so a great exposure for me uh i spent a lot of time watching the wave and not (laughs) i was a little bit selfish with that uh you know not standing in the booth and and such but um yeah overall there was there was a lot to see a lot of cool stuff going on the cigarette surfboard was there had a chance to see that yes i've heard about that yes yeah had a good chat with them what do you think of that oh my gosh it's great it's great it's such a good idea i mean i honestly i don't know where they're going where they where they want to take it um, but what they've been able to do thus far is amazing and they have such terrific exposure as they should like it's it's a cool really cool way to identify a problem or to promote a problem and i think the takeaway a cool little conversation piece i got from them is that they're not trying to just say hey look at all the cigarette butts out there you know let's repurpose them and use them in something that's not really the the case but they're really trying to use the surfboard as a platform to fund 
some kind of documentary or docu-series or, of sorts about how folks flick the cigarette <gasps> and how that, you know, 30 years ago was this really cool, beautiful piece of cinema and it was the cool guy, quote unquote, thing to do. And it's not anymore. It's like, it's such a trashy thing to do now. And they're really trying to highlight and push that and kind of just build this, what do you call this subliminal messaging to say, hey, you're flicking a cigarette. That's really uncool. Um, Here's an example of 10,000 other people who flicked a cigarette. And, you know, we picked them up and put them in a surfboard. (laughs) It's true, though. That's how cool. What a cool, what a cool concept. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Excellent. So um, I was just wondering also if you had any sort of specific books or podcasts or things like that that inspired you on your journey to self-employment and to your sort of your new project. Yeah, I podcast all, all the time, always listen to podcasts. The stories behind the brands, like Household Name is a cool one. I just like learning a little bit of the back end behind various businesses. And there's one specific podcast I even re-listened to it again last night just because I, I love it so much. It is the story, uh, it's by Guy Raz, and it's the story of Yvonne, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but the founder of Patagonia. Oh, uh, Chouinard. Well, uh, in French, we'd say Yvonne Chouinard, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know how you say it in English. <laughs> I won't pronounce it. I'll leave that one with you. <laughs> but yeah, that, that story is really is really profound. And just hearing, it's certainly an outlier. Like You can't expect to start a business that just does what he does. Mm. does what his business has done. Mm. But that's that was a really motivational story to hear, specifically because his founding principles were not to make a ton of money or to rule the world or you know govern the market. It was just, hey, let's make products better. And yeah, they're going to be more expensive, but we're going to make them better. And also, we're going to tell the entire customer base to buy less stuff. Yeah. And hey, own less things, but own nicer things, own things that last. Yeah, such a cool story. I think it's called How I Built This is the name of that podcast uh-huh. okay. with Yvonne. Okay, well, we'll put them in the show notes. We'll put links to yeah. your business and also the, the podcast that you enjoyed in the show notes. And uh, yeah, are you a member of 1% for the Planet? Because that's part of the uh, Patagonia kind of empire. Uh, we just reached out to them two to three weeks ago. Really? And we haven't followed through with that. There's a lot of initiatives that we're weighing as far as which ones to get involved with. Yeah. 1% for the planet kind of is like the most ubiquitous and and easy. So I think we, we will end up. Yeah. I'm a member. My, well, my personal business is a member of 1% for the planet as well. So yeah, it's quite straightforward. It's very easy to do and easy to sign up. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously we we are with Surfrider Foundation as well. And there's a couple of, we've been talking with SmartFin. Oh yes. Just trying to find out a way that we can be involved with them. Cause I think, Supporting oceanographic research is really key to us. And that's a cool company. And we're trying to figure out again, like we don't make very many boards. The volume is just not there. So I want that to, I want there to be a partnership there. I think when we scale up, SmartFin would be a great company to support and Uh to have support from. For those that don't know, just simply they make, as it sounds, they have data and microprocessors inside of fins. And in our mind, we have brand ambassadors, like you said, all over the world surfing with SmartFin and these fins are constantly sending back data on ocean temperatures and salinity and you know all the various things there are to study and just think that's such a cool company to be to be associated with (laughs) absolutely absolutely 
Well, I guess we're running to the end of this interview, which has been a fascinating conversation. I really appreciated it. And I just wondered if you could finish a few sentences for me. Uh, they're very short. Okay, sure. So the first one is, I love. Don't want to sound cheesy, my life. <laughs> I miss. Oh, gosh. Um, nothing. Is that lame? Is that really lame to say? No, that's fine. That's fine. I wish. That more people could be crafting eco-friendly surfboards and durable surfboards. Lovely. And I want to live happy and free and promote others to do the same. Lovely. Well, that's a lovely way to, to actually conclude this conversation. Just could recap your Instagram handle and your website. And yeah, sure. At Timber Surf Co. At All Tim one word, no dashes, spaces or nothing. Just at Timber Surf Co. on Instagram. And the website is timbersurfco.com. Okay. And either way, yeah, reach out there. We normally respond within a day or two. Great, great. Well, thank you ever so much, Ryan, for being a lovely guest and for this beautiful conversation. And I wish you well with your products. And I hope to see maybe some timber surfboards in France one day. Yeah. <laughs> in Europe. Yeah, absolutely. With the day I come, I'll bring some boards for you for sure. <laughs> okay, then we'll take care. Okay, thanks, Have Amy. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. That was a delightful conversation. I love the way Ryan is living a fulfilled lifestyle, tinkering around in his workshop and producing some beautiful pieces of art. And the fact that with his history at Tesla and his university training, everything is thought through and thoughtfully planned out on a computer before he starts chopping away at his resources. Anyway, check out his website, timbersurfco.com and his Instagram page at timbersurfco to order your board today. The Ocean Riders podcast is a passion project and if you like it, you can support it in a number of ways. Number one, share your love for this podcast on iTunes by subscribing or giving it a few stars or a review. Anything in this direction increases my ranking and lets people hear about my fascinating guests and how they are creating a dream job too. Tell your friends, your family and everybody by sharing the awesome content provided by my guests on social media. So number two, you can comment and join this conversation on social media. You'll find links to my social media accounts on my website, theoceanriderspodcast.com. And you can connect with me on Instagram at The Ocean Riders Podcast, on Facebook at The Ocean Riders Podcast and on Twitter at Imi Podcast. And number three, join me for an episode or sponsor my podcast. Just send an email to hello at theoceanriderspodcast.com with a quick bio and I'll take care of the rest. Everything, all the housekeeping out of the way, I would just like to thank Ryan for being such an awe-inspiring guest and to thank you guys ever so much for tuning in this week. Until next episode, take care, have fun and enjoy the waves. Ciao.